good to be here. Enjoyed all the good singing we had this morning. And before we get into the message, I do want to mention a couple of prayer requests. Please keep praying for my friend Penny Rogers I used to work with who had a stroke back on the 9th. And uh, she is in recovery, but uh, probably never, never going to get fully recovered from, from all the effects of a stroke. But keep praying for her. And then thank you for praying for my mother. She is still in the hospital. This is day 33 for her. And she is slowly recovering. She's able to eat now. And uh, she's been setting up on her bed and in the chair some. And I talked to her last night. She sounded in pretty good spirits. Uh, plan to go see her here in a little while. But um, you keep praying for her. She's still got a long way to go. She needs to get that strength built back up in her in her system so she's able to walk and things. But we do appreciate all the prayers that you pray for my mom. And I know she appreciates it. Well, we do have a message this morning. We're getting back into our, our uh, sermon series in the book of Romans. We stopped it about uh, the beginning of December, maybe the, the end of November, so that we preach Christmas messages all through December. And then we've been on a few different things after Christmas. But we need to get back into that. This is actually part number 36 of this sermon series, Rooting Through Romans. And it's been a it's been a fantastic one. Here in chapter 10, we're going to be reading from today. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11. We're going to include the first four as well. I know we've already covered those. But they I need to read those to keep this in context sake. And so we're going to include them in this morning's reading. So we're going to begin there in Romans chapter 10. Start with verse 1, and here the Bible says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now look at verse 5. This is where we pick up our main text from today. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you for the reading of your word. Thank you for all the things you bless us with. But God, we, now we need you to, to give us strength and wisdom, power, boldness, understanding to be able to receive your word. And Lord, may it go out and do a mighty work in our hearts today. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I've titled the message today, Do You Believe in Your Heart? Do you believe in your heart? It's going to be very important for us to understand these things that we must believe in our heart. What this text is going to show us is those things which we must believe in order to be saved. And that's the question most people have is, how can I be saved? What's required of me to be saved? 
And so we'll be looking at, at some of those things in this message as we continue. Now, we talked last time about Paul's deep desire to see all of Israel saved. That's what he, he begins up there in the very first verse there. He said it was his heart's desire. And in Romans 9, 3, we studied there a couple of months ago. He said, for I, wish, I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's Romans 9, 3. He wanted to see all his fellow Jews be saved. Paul was saved. He came to the knowledge and understanding of who Christ was and, and saw that he needed to be saved. Now, Paul's case, we know, was a little different than a lot of people. He was struck down that road to Damascus. But Paul had been under conviction from the Lord about being saved. I believe that's why Paul had such zeal wanting to persecute the church. He was, as the Lord said, he was kicking against the pricks. So he was doing everything in his power to resist Christ because he didn't want to believe it. He didn't want that this man, Jesus, to be the Savior. He's like all these Jews that he's writing to and preaching to. They didn't understand it or they didn't want to understand it. Their understanding of righteousness was following the law, obeying the law. And for some reason, they couldn't connect that Christ was, as Paul said in our text here, the end of the law. Not that Christ ended all the law, but that Christ fulfilled it. That all the law was pointing to Christ, the Messiah, Savior. But they were unwilling to accept that fact. They wanted to say that Jesus came here to preach contrary to the law. And that what all of a sudden is this faith everybody's talking about. You see, they didn't, they didn't work on faith. Not most of the Jews. Now, we know some did. Abraham, of course, by faith. And in fact, that's, that's how he was accounted under righteousness to him, his faith in the Lord. But these Jews, they operated on their works. And so they believed as long as they could do the work, keep up the law, that that would be counted toward righteousness for them. And so when all of a sudden Paul's preaching, no, it's Jesus Christ is how you become righteous, is how you can be saved. All this law, as he said in another place, is your schoolmaster. It's only teaching you and pointing you to Christ. And so here in our opening text, he mentions what Moses taught in his day. Look at it, Romans 10.5. He said, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Now, he's not saying the law made them righteous. He says the righteousness which is of the law. You see, there's a, a difference here. What he said, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. So everything about the law was based on works, completely. It wasn't based on faith. It wasn't based on spiritual things. It was based on my ability to keep the law that's been written. Now, the law was necessary for the Jews as a sign of obedience. It's how God kept them uh, uh, obedient to him. That's how they were supposed to follow to show. You see, all this was supposed to lead to faith, to have faith in God. They made it a work. They made the law a, a burden. They made the law a job, a job description. You know, this is what we do. We keep the law. We do this and we do that. Their thoughts was never on the love of God and the faith of having God, you know, the, the righteousness, the spiritualness. None of that was in their minds. So the law was an act of their flesh. And righteousness does not come through your flesh. It comes through faith. So that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 
verses 3 and 4, he said, for what the law could not do. Now notice that. He said the law can't do this. What this law could not do, it could never do, it can never ever do. Not now, not in the past, not in the present, not in the future. In that it was weak through the flesh. Why is it weak through the flesh? Not the law was weak, that the flesh is weak. And so therefore, man could not maintain or keep up the law because his flesh is weak. Try to keep the laws. You're not be able to do it. You won't be able to survive a day trying to keep up all those laws the Jews were to keep up with. And so the flesh is weak and unable to keep the law. It says God sending his own son. We're in Romans 8 and 3. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, here it is, but after the spirit. And so they're always concerned about walking after the flesh. You know, I saw a brother and so-and-so, he was breaking the law, you know. But there's no forgiveness there. There's no faith there. There's no spiritual uh, condition there. It's all about the flesh. And so Paul, he realizes not all Jews are going to accept Christ. That's just, that's just the way it is. Uh, they're not going to place their faith in this man, Christ Jesus, for salvation and for righteousness. They're going to continue to follow the, the works of the law, the works of the flesh. They're never going to accept Christ, many of them. But Paul, we know, was called as a preacher unto the Gentiles. And just like men of the past, when God called them to preach, they preach righteousness. That's what Paul's preaching here. But it's righteousness through Christ, through faith in him. And so Paul's message now is not only for the Jew, but the Gentile like. So his message is for all. All Greek, Romans, you know, Jews, whoever it is. This message, Paul's preaching, this gospel message is for all who believe. Now, uh, Paul continues to emphasize to his fellow Israelites that it's not about the obedience to the law, but rather righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. Look at verse 6, back in our opening text, Romans chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. These two verses, actually these last three that we've read here, these are all um, taken from the Old Testament. This is things that Moses said. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you'll find this. Uh, verses 11 through 13, and that's what Paul's referring to. Now, when he would say this, all these Jews are going to immediately know what he's talking about. This is the words of Moses. This is what was written in Deuteronomy. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 13. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up? for us to heaven, and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea, that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us, and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. You see, even the Jews back in that day were confused about what, what God's plan was for them. They're always looking for someone to do something. It's always doing something. He said, no, it's, it's not far off. It's very near. It's in your grasp. It's right here. It's in your mind. It's in your heart. They, didn't, they couldn't see it. 
And so the point he's making is righteousness and salvation are not some kind of unattainable things. In their minds, it's unattainable. There's just, I mean, there's no way. It's like saying, oh, if I, if I just had someone that could travel up to heaven and bring Christ down here, then, then I could believe and I could be, you know, be saved and be righteous. Or if I could have somebody go to the far reaches of the sea for me and bring back that which I need for salvation. And Paul said, no, no, no. And it's, it's just like Moses said. It's not some far off, unattainable, you can't do it thing. It's right here in your grasp. It's right here. And so it is hard for us as Gentiles raised here in a Western Christian society to understand the mindset the Jews had. And Paul understood it very clearly. He was one of them. But there was absolutely no way that they could continue to live under that law. The law actually was a curse to them. Not that God cursed them with the law, but it became a curse because they made it that way. It was preventing them from seeing uh, the truth of what it was pointing to. And so listen to what Paul, he wrote this to the church at Galatia. Galatians 3, 10 through 12. Paul writes, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, so you, you can't do it. You're going to be. You're not going to be able to continue in the in the works of the law. You're not going to be able to continue what's been written, and so it's a curse unto you. Verse eleven. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not a faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them, and so Paul keeps explaining to them. You've got to open your eyes. You see, they were blinded. They had, they had scales on their eyes, much like Paul when the Lord blinded him and he had those scales. And then they began to fall off. But listen, these Jews were blinded. The Jews are blinded today. They're still waiting on a Messiah to come. It's so sad. When it was so evident and he fulfilled every portion of, of everything that was ever said about their Messiah, yet they rejected him. And so it does not require someone to go up to heaven and bring Christ down or cross to the ends of the sea and bring him over to acquire salvation. That's, that's not required. So what's the answer? Verse 8, back in our text, Romans 10 and 8. Paul says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. It's the same thing Moses said in Deuteronomy. No, 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 it's not something far away. It's not something unattainable. It's right here nearby. It says the word is nigh thee. That means very close. It's within your grasp, in your reach. It, uh, it's, it's available for the taking, and it's simply by faith. And that's what Paul's gospel message is. That's why he says here, this is what we preach. The word of faith is the gospel. Which we preach, he says. And Paul's message that he preached is the same message that any gospel preacher today worth his, his salt is preaching as well. It's the gospel message of faith. And that's why he said that is the word of faith which we preach. And so naturally, here's the Jews' question. Okay, well how is this possible? How, Paul? Show us how this is even possible. Or as the Jews on the day of Pentecost said, when Peter preached there and, 
And they were pricked in their hearts. And what did they say? They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? How can we fix this problem that we obviously have? Or the Philippian jailer. Even the Philippian jailer, that, that Gentile, he's, after the prison bars were shaken, he goes out and he, he's about to kill himself. And they say, wait, don't do it. Nobody's left. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And it's the universal question. Anybody that's wanting to know how to be saved, that's what they, how? How? Well, Paul answers the question. Verse 9, back in Romans 10. He says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You might want to underline that word and shalt believe or that phrase in thine heart. Believe in thine heart that God is raising the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, is it salvation just that? Well, the devil believes in Jesus too. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm sure he believes in his heart. He knows it's true. Does that mean the devil's saved? <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> no. And so this verse right here, it's one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible. And it's one which you should always use whenever presenting the gospel message to someone. You've got to know you must believe it in your heart. Now, the heart, I know the Bible says in one place it's, it's desperately wicked. It's, it's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? But listen, the heart, what it's speaking about here is the inner being of man. It's who you are. It is. If somebody was to say something about you that makes up who you are, your very essence, it's your heart. It's your heart. She's a good person. Her heart's good. She has good qualities about her. That's who she is. That's what makes her a... That's an evil, rotten, disgusting, nasty person. They're always hateful. It's because their heart's that way. You see, your heart and mind, although they're connected, they're two different things. Your mind, it sends messages to your body to tell it what to do, like move your arms. My mind right now is saying move your right arm. Okay. Move your left arm. Okay. Move your head. Okay. My mind told me to do that, but my heart is different, and it talks to the brain. And it talks to the body, it talks to the mind, and it, it, it's those things which you truly believe. It's what's real to you. It's undeniable to you. So, there's no work on our behalf that's involved in this faith. Christ performed all the work that goes into salvation. So it, it's not got anything to do with our works. The simple plan of salvation is, of course, Believing the finished work of Christ on the cross and the reason he did it. You see, if you, a lot of people may believe there was a man that was crucified, but they don't believe in their heart that he's the Savior. They don't believe that he was sent here to die for their sins, not in their heart. Their mind may agree with it, but your mind can be changed. I've changed my mind a lot of times. I have never changed what's in my heart. And there's the difference. You see, your thoughts, what you may believe in your mind, can often be changed through experience, through uh, influence, through through lots of things. Your mind, I've changed my mind on a lot of stuff. Now, but my heart, something I believe totally in my heart, you can't change that. 
It doesn't matter. It don't matter what you say, what you do, what you try to show me. If I believe it in my heart, it's there to stay and it's not going. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 10, for with the heart, man believeth under righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. But don't let the Roman Catholics fool you into thinking that word confession means that you must go down and talk to the little priest in the box. That's not got anything to do with this. That word confession here means that you agree with what God has proclaimed, that his son Jesus is, is the savior of, of men. You agree with that. I agree. God sent his only begotten son here to die for me because I'm a sinner. I agree with that. And in my heart, I believe it. I believe with all my heart. And so Paul gives us a clear definition of the gospel over in 1 Corinthians. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and this is often called the gospel in a nutshell. You can call it that if you like. It's fine. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul writes to that church, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you've received, and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And so there, those are the three key elements of the gospel. Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, just like he promised, just like he said. And so those three essential elements are necessary for salvation. You must believe those things in your heart if you're going to be saved. Now, like I said, the devil also, he knows this is true. He knows it in his heart, but he's not saved. Why? He is not going to, to accept Christ as his Savior. And some people say, well, how do I know for sure if I'm saved? I just, you know, I'm questioning it. Do I really believe it in my heart? Try to, try to say out loud to someone, Jesus is not my Savior. Try it. You ain't going to be able to do it. It would tear you apart. If you're saved, that would tear you apart to say that to somebody. You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't do it. We must believe with all of our heart. Notice twice that Paul says the requirements for righteousness is believing in your heart. It's not just believing in your mind or your brain. It's believing in your heart. And like I said, you can change your mind about a lot of things. When Jesus came into my heart, and he does. He moves into your heart. I believed I believed the gospel message. I believed what the preacher said. He preached the word of God. I believed it. I didn't question it. I still don't question it today. There's nothing you can do or say to change my mind from believing in the gospel. <laughs> nothing. It's in my heart. And so uh, a lot of times things I've thought, uh, things I, I may have believed in my head were wrong. I believed some things before that I heard other people say and found out they were wrong. And so I changed my mind about it. But our hearts are connected to our thoughts, our, mo our emotions, our desires. And when something is on your heart and you desire it, it's like, it's like meeting the love of your life. When I first met my wife, Mary, I knew in my heart she was the only one for me. I mean, I knew it without a doubt. You could have come, and I had never even met her. I saw her walk in the door, and immediately I was fixed upon her, and I knew in my heart, that's, she's mine. That is the woman I love. 
And there's not a thing you could have said or done to change my mind. Nothing. Well, when you have that heart's desire for someone, you want to know them. You want to learn about them. You want to please them. You want to be with them forever. It's no different with the Lord Jesus. If you truly love the Lord Jesus in your heart, you want to know him. You want to learn about him. You want to be with him. Why do you think people sit around, Christians sit around and long to be in heaven? Why do you think our neighbor that was that has passed away now, she would sit on that porch and look off into the sky and say, I just want to go home. I want to go home and see Jesus. I hear people, we've, we've ministered with, with people before and they just said, I want to go and see Jesus. Why would they want to do that? Because they believe in their heart that he's their savior. He loved them so much that he died, gave his life for them so they could be saved. And there's not a thing you can do to change their heart. I like that last verse here, verse 11. For scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now some have misunderstood this verse to take it to mean, well, if you profess Christ, you, you would not be ashamed to tell everybody about it. You can look at it that way if you like, but that's not really what this verse is implying. Notice it says, for the scripture saith. Now, sometimes in the Bible you'll read such things as for it has been said, or as it has been written, or you have heard. And some of those things you won't find in the Bible. Some of those refer to the, the common sayings of that day, or something the Pharisees or, or scribes came up with. You've heard it said, you, you know, you've seen it written. They wrote a lot of stuff. You won't find a lot of those things in the Bible. But whenever you see that term scripture saith, you better believe you're going to go back and find it in God's word. It's there. If the Bible said scripture saith, it's going to be in there. And here it says according to the scriptures. Then you know it's something we can find. Scripture saith, it's found six different times in the King James Bible. And it's always pointing you back to what has already been said in God's word. So what, what Paul is saying here, if it's something that's found, that it's something found in the scripture, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, if you do a search on that term, and I have, you don't have to do it, I've already done it for you. You'll find it, like I said, six times. Two of those times you find in the book of Isaiah. And that is what Paul is referring to, the scripture saith. Isaiah 45, verse 17, the Bible says, But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed, nor confounded, world without end. And then again in Isaiah 49, 23, And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of, the, of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And so the meaning behind this not being ashamed doesn't, doesn't mean you're embarrassed to you know, be with Christ or to, to believe in Christ. What it, what it actually means is that if you believe in the Lord Jesus, your faith is going to come to sight. You're not going to be ashamed. You're not going to be... Um, um, puzzled, you're not going to be let down, is, is essentially what this means. And so those people that claim that they love Christ, they believe in Christ, that Christ came to die for them, they won't be ashamed because he is coming back. Just like he said, he's coming back, he's going to take us with him. Whether you're going to you know, leave this walk of life with your eyes closed in death 
and he call you up from the, from the grave or whether he comes while we're still alive, which is what I want to see. And it scares a lot of people. Though, I don't want to see that. I don't want to go through. <laughs> I would love to experience that. I know I still would if I was, you know, in the ground. But can you imagine while you're still alive and walking around, suddenly Christ comes and calls and we ascend up into the heavens on a cloud and meet him in the air. I just, there's nothing that would that would blow your mind and change in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Watch what I need. I need a change. And uh, listen. So all of this that Paul is preaching and teaching and writing to these Jews, it applies to us. You must believe in your heart the finished work of Christ on the cross. And along with that, as you're believing. You believe he is your Savior. You see, the devil don't believe Christ is his Savior. He will never accept that. The devil's a lot like these atheists today. They, they don't believe that anyone is superior to them. They think they are their own God. Like, like my ex, the president of the company that I work for, said he was on his, his own God. He's going to learn different one day when he stands before Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, I'm my own God. We'll see how that works out for you. And so, in order to be saved, we must know those essential elements and believe them in our heart that Christ came, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again on that third day. And because he did that, we can be saved. And if you believe that in your heart, you believe the Lord Jesus is your Savior. You don't doubt that for a minute. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. Thank you, Lord, for that belief that you placed in our heart. God, that Jesus, he died for our sins. Lord, And we know according to the scriptures, in other words, your word. We believe your word with all of our heart. God, there's not a thing that can change that. And Lord, we're just praying for those out there today that's lost. God, that maybe they've not heard the gospel message. Lord, maybe they've never been convicted. I don't know. But Lord, there may be those that's been resisting. Lord, thanks their own their own God that don't want to trust Jesus as Savior. Lord, would you convict their heart? Show them the need before it's too late. Lord, may you use Porchlight Baptist Church to be a, a beacon to be a light, to shine out into this world of darkness, Lord, to share your gospel message and the truth. Help us, Father. Thank you for all the things you bless us with. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen.